0: And today, I want to talk about some of my own battles with male chauvinism. In a way, they're kind of funny, at least I think so, because sometimes you have to have a sense of humor when you're dealing with ingrained male ways of thinking. Now, these things happened years ago, but they show where we've come from. And unfortunately, these attitudes are still prevalent and they pervade the relationships that women have in business and their personal lives even today. So my first story has just been published in our latest book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, BU, which is a collection of stories about female empowerment, self-discovery, self-esteem, and in some cases, reaching for the stars. And by reaching for the stars, I mean achieving goals, including breaking into professions that were dominated by men. I know how that feels, having worked on Wall Street in the 1980s and 1990s, when women were rarely in professional positions and sexual harassment was just part of everyday work life. In fact, a week after I got my first Wall Street job in 1981, I was told that our company Christmas party would be the next week and it would be at the Playboy Club. That definitely wouldn't happen today. Anyway, here's my story from our new book, it's called Match Point. Now I was working full time in New York City, but also participating in a tennis tournament at our local swim and tennis club in Connecticut. It was an elimination tournament, meaning that each time I won a match, I would move on to my next opponent. And it was important to keep going because if I failed to play a match in a timely manner, I would hold up the other players. Well, the problem was that our club only allowed members who worked full-time to play tennis on weekend mornings. And the thinking was that the non-working members could play on weekdays because they had more flexibility than those of us who went off to jobs every day. This made sense, but it excluded all the ladies who I was supposed to play against because they all worked part-time or were stay-at-home moms. It ended up that the tennis courts Were used exclusively by men on Saturday mornings as a result of the rule and the guys were quite happy about that. The entire board of directors of the club was male and they all played tennis so I was outnumbered as I prepared for my battle. I tried to convince the board members that this policy didn't work because the few women who worked full-time couldn't find other women to play with on weekend mornings so I had no ability to play my matches as my opponents didn't qualify for weekend morning play, but the board members stuck to their position. Weekend mornings were reserved for members who worked full-time. Everyone on the court had to be a club member who worked full-time. So it really felt like all these men were lined up against me trying to preserve the status quo. It was frustrating and maddening, and I felt very alone. But then I realized something. One of the most popular members was this older guy named Gene, and he would play doubles on Saturday mornings. And all the men loved Gene, and they would invite him into their doubles games when they needed a fourth player. Well, Gene didn't work full time. He didn't work at all. He was retired. So game on for me. I called the board member who had told me that I couldn't play my matches on Saturday mornings because my opponents didn't work full time. And I said, it was such a shame that Gene would no longer be able to play on weekend mornings. I expected the board to inform Gene immediately that he was no longer welcome on the courts on weekend mornings. Well, this caused a major problem for the guys. Gene was their buddy. I totally had them. Match point for me. Those guys had known all along that Gene was breaking the rules, but they never expected anyone to make it an issue. They just assumed that men could play on weekend mornings because they were entitled. Shortly afterward, the board changed the rules to exactly what I had suggested. As long as one member playing on the court worked full-time, that member could invite any other member to play on weekend mornings. My next challenge was to convince my female opponents that they truly were allowed to play with me on a Saturday morning. They were so cowed by the male dominance of the courts that they were fearful about invading. It really did feel like a boys club out there. But finally, the ladies believed me and appeared to play our matches. I played a few more times before I lost and was eliminated from the tournament. I didn't care about that loss at all, though. What really mattered was that I had outsmarted those guys and forced them to revise an unfair rule that had been in place for decades. So here's another story and this one is really ridiculous and so unfair. I wrote this story for another book that we did about female empowerment a few years ago. It was called Chicken Soup for the Soul: The Empowered Woman. So I was a Wall Street analyst, and I was very good at what I did, and I figured out which stocks were going to rise and which were going to fall, and there was this company that I knew really well. It was one whose stock I had recommended for years, and the price had gone up, but then I decided it was overvalued and it was going to go down, and I told a few of my clients, big professional investors, and I got the ones that owned that stock to take their profits and get out. I saved them millions of dollars by getting them out on time. You know what they did? They sent me flowers. I know they meant well, but really? I would rather have gotten more money in commissions than receive a big bunch of flowers. It was okay though, they were nice guys and they did pay me as well, but there's no way a male analyst would have received flowers for the same great work. I was pretty sure he would have just gotten more money. Paying analysts for their stock picks was basically done on the honor system, with the clients deciding how much to pay via brokerage commissions. Time after time, stock pick after stock pick, it seemed I was earning less than my male colleagues. I decided to start my own hedge fund, so I would be in charge of what I made, because when you run a hedge fund, it's all math. You get 20% of the profits. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or an iguana. Math is math. So I ran my fund for a few years and never had a down quarter. I got my 20% of the profits and made a nice living while working from my house and being there for my young children. I only had one run-in with a male chauvinist while I ran my hedge fund. He called me one day to complain about something, I forget what, and he accused me of running school bake sales instead of my hedge fund. Well, I had this policy I had already decided that each quarter I got to fire one annoying client. The way you fire a client is just by sending them back their money. So I sent this guy all his money, and then he begged me to take him back. But I was working too hard to make money for someone I didn't like, so I didn't let him back in. There was a lot of male chauvinism on Wall Street, but I navigated my way through it. Sometimes I could even use it to my advantage because guys didn't expect me to be smart. They saw this petite, pretty, blonde woman, and they thought I was some kind of bimbo. And it allowed me to get a lot of information out of them, sometimes figuring out stuff that no one else knew. I was written up in Forbes magazine for being the first analyst ever sued by a New York Stock Exchange company. I had exposed the massive accounting fraud perpetrated by their CEO and other top officers. I had figured out the fraud using two things my ability to get men to talk to me on the phone, and also math. When the company's own accountants finally conceded that what I had been telling them was true, the top management team was fired and their stock went to zero. Their lawyer ended up apologizing profusely to me during a deposition when I proved to him that his clients were crooks. And I thought, oh well guys, the little blonde got you. Well, then I got the coolest job. I kept running my hedge fund, but I also joined the management team of an exciting new startup telecommunications company. I was the EVP of strategic planning, and it was a company with huge potential, but when I joined them, they were out of cash. Well, because of my reputation as a straight shooter on Wall Street, there was a hedge fund that was willing to invest $6 million in the company's stock as long as I was on the executive team. So, Things were looking up. It was my presence that brought in the crucial cash infusion. And for the next two years, I was a critical member of the management team. And we raised tens of millions of dollars. And we grew the company like crazy. And I felt like I was getting respect. The environment was definitely getting better for women in business. And I was the company's representative to Wall Street. I talked to all the investors and kept them up to date and interested in our company. And I was always part of the team that presented to institutional investors as we raised money to fuel our incredible growth. I was the one at the front of the ballroom or sitting at the conference table explaining the PowerPoint slides. And you know, when you raise money for a big company, the investment bankers take you across the country on what is called a roadshow. So on one roadshow, we were in Denver for breakfast and we had a big lunch meeting in San Francisco with 50 important investors. And then our flight was canceled. And this was before smartphones. So my colleagues and our investment bankers, all guys just stood there at the gate looking lost. And I ran over to one of those airport phones that they use to page people. And I asked the operator to put me through to whatever charter jet service existed at the Denver airport. And then I chartered a jet with my credit card, rushed everyone to the other side of the airport where the private planes were, and we took off for San Francisco. We made it just in time for the lunch meeting. But I sure felt like a bit of a mother hen that day, ushering those captains of industry around while they just stood there flummoxed. The biggest deal I was involved in was a $225 million capital raise. And that time we didn't fly commercial because we were going to so many places, multiple cities per day. So the CEO, COO, vice chairman, and I were on our private plane one night, along with a few of the investment bankers. And I started to feel like the grown up on the Gulf Stream as the guys watched some stupid movie that involved Eddie Murphy and obese people sitting around a dining room table passing gas. And these captains of industry were in hysterics. And so were the investment bankers. And I thought, wow, we're raising hundreds of millions of dollars if people really knew. But That was just a male-female thing. Anyway, I presented to the potential investors at every meeting, and I was one of only four people who reported to our CEO, and we had thousands of employees. So I really felt like I had arrived. I was the only woman on the plane. I was an integral part of the team that had this successful roadshow and raised $225 million. When we closed the deal, I thought, there isn't a single institutional investor in this company who isn't in at least partly because I've talked to them. The roadshow was great, and I'm one of the guys, except for my taste in movies. A few days later, we were back at the office victorious, and then to express their gratitude to us for making the deal a success, the gifts arrived from the investment bankers. I heard about them when I walked into the office. The CEO, COO, and vice chairman had each received a six-bottle case of Dom Perignon champagne. I was really excited. I went into my office, all excited to get my case of champagne. And guess what I found waiting for me in my office? My gift from the investment bankers for helping close that $225 million deal? A case of Dom Perignon like the three guys got? Nope. I got a vase filled with flowers. I'm Amy Newmark. Thanks for listening to these stories. If you'd like to learn more about Chicken Soup for the Soul BU, or Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Empowered Woman, go to our website, chickensoup.com, and click on the podcast button. You'll see the books there and you can check out the front and back covers and read more about them. If you wanna read stories from Chicken Soup for the Soul, you can sign up for a daily newsletter and get a free story in your email inbox every day. There will be lots of stories from our new books in the coming weeks. Just head to our website, chickensoup.com, and click on the newsletter sign-up option. You can also follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at Amy Newmark, and you'll see links to our free stories and this podcast. Come back for our next episode to hear two stories from our new book about self-care and making me time. These stories will get you up and outside enjoying nature, and I'll discuss the Japanese concept of forest bathing, which has proven health benefits.